0: Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson.
1: You know, I think sometimes we get so caught up in, I know I do sometimes, I get so caught up in doing these things for God, you know, and I want to go here and do this, and I want to reach these people, and I, you know, I want to do all of these things for God. And sometimes I, I actually forget that God wants to do a bunch of stuff just in me. You know, it's, it's my character that he wants to develop.
0: Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Genesis chapter 49 in a message titled, The Prophecies of Jacob. Now here's Pastor
1: Brian. Judah would retain its sovereignty until Shiloh comes. Judah ceased to be a nation in AD 70. Some people put it earlier, there's a, there's a story, I don't know if it's a legend or if, if it actually did occur, that there was a certain point in time where the rabbis, having lost their, recognizing that the, the nation had lost its ability to exercise capital punishment, they interpreted that as the scepter having departed from Judah. And as the story goes, they paraded in the streets, mourning and lamenting because the scepter had departed from Judah, but but Messiah had not come. We know for sure that the scepter departed from Judah in 70 AD, because in 70 AD, Judah was leveled. It was flattened by the Romans. And from that point forward, Judah has not existed as a sovereign nation. So what's the prophecy telling us? The prophecy is telling us that Judah could not have ceased to exist as a nation until the Messiah came. What does that mean? It means the Messiah has come already. And you see, again, as we're talking to our Jewish friends, these are some of the things that we need to communicate to them. Your scriptures say that Messiah had to have come already because the scepter would not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes. And so, there it is, the messianic prophecy here in these uh, blessings pronounced upon the son of Jacob. And notice, and to him, Shiloh, or Messiah, and of course, Jesus is who we're referring to, to him shall be the obedience of the people. So, all of the nations will come under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ when he returns. And what a great day that is going to be and how we long for that to happen. Now, verses 11 and 12, this, you know, binding his donkey to the vine, his donkey's colt to the choice vine. You know, you look at that, what in the world does that have to do with anything? What does that mean? Well, it's It's a description it's a poetic description of a uh, time of abundance. It's a time of abundance. The vines will be so thick that you can bind your donkey to it. You know, if you look at a grapevine generally they're they're fairly small things, but we're talking about these these thick vines, these choice vines, an abundance of wine, and an abundance of milk, so it's really sort of a poetic way of describing the future kingdom, when God is going to just pull out all the stops and pour out an abundance of material blessing upon his people in those days. So, from Judah, now moving to Zebulun. Now, the order here in the first four is the same order as their birth, but now Zebulun takes us out of the birth order, but it continues with the sons of Leah. And so the first six are the sons of Leah. Then you have the the sons of the concubines. And then the, the last two are references to the sons of Rachel. So Zebulun shall dwell toward the haven of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships and his border shall adjoin Sidon. So talking about the, the area uh, that will be allotted to Zebulun. Most commentators say, well, Zebulun never really attained to that in, you know, in the past. So perhaps this is referring to the expansion of Zebulun in the future. Maybe so. Issachar, verse 14. Issachar is a strong donkey lying between two burdens. He saw that rest was good and that the land was pleasant he bowed his shoulder to bear a burden and became a band of slaves. So Issachar, strong, but apparently unmotivated. And because he's unmotivated, because as a tribe, they're, un, uh, they're unmotivated. Instead of entering into all of the blessing and the inheritance, they're actually going to become slaves through uh, laziness, essentially. And then verse 16, we come to Dan. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent by the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that its riders shall fall backward. I have waited for your salvation, O Lord. Jacob just cries out there as he refers to Dan. Now, in looking at Dan, notice it says, Dan shall judge his people. And that was fulfilled through Samson. You remember the story of Samson, Judges chapter 13, 14. Samson was of the tribe of Dan, and he is reckoned among the judges. Now, this part in verse 17, Dan shall be a serpent by the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heel so that it's rider. shall fall backward. This again is one of those sort of mysterious utterances that nobody really knows exactly what Jacob is referring to here. Some say it's a reference, the serpent is a reference um, to these little adders that would blend in with the, the ground and then strike the horse. It probably was that, but they're saying that it's a way of talking about Dan being crafty warriors. Maybe so. Others say that the serpent reference is actually an allusion to the fact that Dan would be the tribe that would sort of lead the other tribes into idolatry. And one of the, the golden calves was set up in that area there. So some see it as a reference to that idolatry. Others see it as even a possible reference to Dan being the tribe from which... The Antichrist comes. Now, the problem with that, in one sense, is the Antichrist, the one that we commonly refer to as the Antichrist, is going to be a Gentile, not a Jew, and is going to rise up a, out of a revived Roman Empire based in Europe. But if we realize, and we should, as we look at Revelation chapter 13, there, in a sense, there are actually two Antichrists. The, the other one, though, is called the false prophet, rather than the Antichrist. But he has all of the authority of the first beast. He acts on behalf of the first beast. And and as you study this second person, this false prophet, it seems that it is highly possible that this person would be an Israelite, would be a Jew. This would probably be the person that's going to influence Israel at the time to embrace and, and to worship this this first beast who we commonly call the antichrist, so that is a possibility, whether or not it's a it 's a fact we don 't know, but one of the other things used to support this theory is the fact that in Revelation chapter seven, when the 12 tribes are mentioned that are sealed. You remember we just studied that a few weeks ago. The 12 tribes that are sealed, if you'll notice, Dan is omitted from that list. Dan is not in that list. Now, when you go back to Ezekiel and you get into the millennial kingdom that's being described there in the latter parts of the chapters of Ezekiel, Dan is right there. So we know that in the millennium, the tribe of Dan is there. But for some reason, the tribe of Dan is not sealed and protected during the tribulation period. And so, again, the possibility that uh, there could be some connection there. But, of course, we don't really know. So, from Dan, we come to Gad. A troop shall tramp upon him, but he shall triumph at last. Remember, Gad means a troop comes and so here, just sort of a little play on words. A troop shall tramp upon him, but he shall triumph at last. Verse 20, bread from Asher shall be rich, and he shall yield royal dainty. So Asher was situated in the land. They were situated in that fertile area up in the northern part of the land, and they were going to be the ones to produce all of the good food, basically. Verse 21, Naphtali is a dear let loose, he uses beautiful words. Now, you know, this is where you wish Jacob would have just said a little bit more (laughs) in some of these, you know. Wait, Jacob. (laughs) You know, you can see these guys. Wait, wait, Dad. What What do you mean by that? You know, some of this stuff. I mean, these guys probably didn't themselves have any idea what some of this stuff was referring to. So, Naphtali is... A deer let loose. Going to be swift. The armies of David, many of the men were from Naphtali. And they were evidently fleet of foot. But what about this one? He uses beautiful words. Now, interestingly, the ministry of Jesus, the majority of his ministry took place in the region of Naphtali, the area of Galilee. Remember that prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9? that speaks of those who sit in the valley of the shadow of death. And it mentions there the region of Zebulun and Naphtali by way of of the Galilee of the Gentiles. Those who sat in darkness have seen a great light. Light has shined upon them. And and that's the prelude to the prophecy that would come a few verses later. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders." And it could possibly be a reference to the beautiful words, the gracious words that would flow from the mouth of Jesus as he would minister there during his public ministry in the region of Naphtali. And also, the majority of the disciples came from that region as well. Now, they probably weren't part of that tribe necessarily because the tribes, of course, had all been dispersed by this time and all but they definitely came from that region. So it could be that that is what is being referred to there. But now verse 22, we come to Joseph. So we're back to Joseph. Now, as Judah received the patriarchal blessing, and again, that sort of the Abrahamic covenant was passed on through Judah, Joseph, because of Jacob's great love for him, Joseph receives it's sort of like Jacob took the blessing and divided it between Judah and Joseph the spiritual part he gave to Judah and the material part he gave to Joseph so the firstborn would generally receive double the portion that the other sons would receive so so Joseph is getting that double portion and so look what Jacob says and he you know in this Prophecy, blessing that he pronounces here, he sort of, you know, he kind of just recounts the history of Joseph. But what does he say about Joseph? Joseph is a fruitful bough or a fruitful vine, a fruitful bough by a well, his branches run over the wall. So he's just talking about the beauty of the life of Joseph. It was a life filled with fruit. You know, as you look at Joseph, it's interesting. There are two people in the scripture that you never have any mention whatsoever of any inconsistency, failure, weakness, nothing. And those two people are Joseph and Daniel. I remember years ago, my son, after reading the life of Joseph, he asked me, Dad, did Joseph ever sin? (laughs) and of course he did because he was a sinner like anybody else but he was a man who was just so full of god and and full of just you know the the fruit of of god's work in his life that that was that was the predominant thing i was thinking today i was just thinking wow what would it have been like to just know joseph what kind of a person would he have been to just you know, to interact with him, to engage with him, to, to listen to him. He was a beautiful, beautiful person, a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a well. It's that, that picture is like that, um, the blessed man of Psalm 1. You remember, blessed is a man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. He shall be like a tree planted by the river of water. That's the same kind of um, image that Jacob is painting here. And remember what Joseph said in regard to his own experience. You remember he, he named one of his sons Ephraim, which means fruitful. And he said that he named him Ephraim because God had made him fruitful in the land of his affliction. So really the mark of Joseph's life was fruit. The fruit of the spirit was the mark of his life. And God help us that that would be uh, the mark of our lives. You know, I think sometimes we get so caught up in, I know I do sometimes, I get so caught up in doing these things for God, you know, and I want to go here and do this, and I want to reach these people, and I, you know, I want to do all of these things for God. And sometimes I, I actually forget that God wants to do a bunch of stuff just in me. You know, it's, it's my character that he wants to develop. It's more of, of his likeness that he wants to, to work in me. And, you know, sometimes I I have a tendency to forget that, you know, there's a lot of things that still need to be done in me that I might just as, as a person bear more fruit, become more like Jesus Christ. That's what we see in the life of Joseph. But now listen to what Jacob says in verse 23. The archers have bitterly grieved him, shot at him And hated him. Now, it it seems from this here, not I, I don't think that Jacob was holding on to bitterness at all, but you know, he's referring to his other sons. They're the archers that had bitterly grieved Joseph. They're the ones that hated him, they're the ones that shot their arrows at him. And here Jacob is, you know, he's sort of reminding them. Of that being the case, and that was the experience of Joseph, but look what it says in verse 24, but his bow remained in strength. But his bow remained in strength. You know what that means? It means that Joseph did not let his arrows fly in the direction of his enemies. He restrained himself. He did not retaliate against them. His bow remained in strength. They hated him. They grieved him. They shot at him. But he never never attempted to to get back at them. He never wanted to get even with them. He never let those arrows fly. Oh, what, what a temptation it must have been when he now had all of the power right there at his fingertips He could have made these guys pay. He could have made their lives so miserable for what they had done to him, but he didn't do it. His bow remained in strength. He didn't retaliate. You know, people will do things to us at times. And there's there's a a big temptation to take vengeance or to retaliate, to, to pay them back, to do something, to get even with them. But you know, God would want our bow to remain in strength he doesn't want us to to let the arrows fly so to speak he wants us to just turn those things over to him and and to trust him with those things and to just leave it with him remember what we're told in the new testament quotation actually from the proverbs vengeance is mine says the lord i will repay so if your enemy is hungry what do you do you feed him If he's thirsty, what do you do? You give him a drink. You see, we need to leave that stuff with the Lord. Had Joseph spent the rest of his life taking vengeance on his brothers, it would have ruined his whole relationship with the Lord. And all of that precious and beautiful fruit would have eventually just rotted. But he didn't do it. But how was it that he was able to restrain himself, notice And the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. God gave him the strength. God gave him the grace. God gave him the ability to resist taking vengeance. And God will give the same thing to you. He'll give the same thing to me whenever we need that. Our hands will be strengthened as we trust him, as we call upon him by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. And so look at these names as Jacob is referring to God here. He's the mighty God. He's the mighty God of Jacob. He is the shepherd. He is the stone of Israel. All of those titles are great Studies in and of themselves. Verse 25, by the God of your Father who will help you and by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies beneath, blessings of the breast and of the womb, the blessings of your Father have excelled the blessings of my ancestors up to the us- utmost bound of the everlasting hills. They shall be on the head of of Joseph, and on the crown of the head of him who was separate from his brothers. So man, Jacob is just pouring on the blessing on Joseph. All of this bountiful blessing, the blessing of the, you know, my blessing, the, the blessing of my ancestors, the, uh, the everlasting hills, all that blessing poured upon the crown of him who was separate from his brothers. You see how good God is. All of those years of suffering, all of those years of darkness and confusion over what was happen- happening in his life, but you see how the Lord, in the end, more than made up for it. He more than made up for it. And Joseph was greatly blessed. And then finally, we come to Benjamin. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning, he shall devour the prey, and at night, he shall divide the spoil. And again, as you follow the history, Benjamin, they were a fierce, fierce tribe. They were intense warriors. Of course, Saul, the first king of Israel, was a Benjamite. And then, of course, we know another Benjamite named Saul who became known to us as Paul the apostle. And so all these are the 12 tribes of Israel and this is what their father spoke to them and he blessed them. He blessed each one according to his own blessing. So here we are, Jacob blessing his sons and as we close just again, Shiloh, the one whose right it is, You know, we're living in a time when once again men are thinking that they're going to bring in the perfect world. We've been here many times already. The utopian dream. We're going to create a perfect society. I hope you're not holding your breath for that one. But you know, there is a perfect society coming. There is a utopia, but it's not going to be brought in by any human being. It's going to be brought in by Shiloh, the one whose right it is, the one to whom it belongs, the Lord Jesus Christ. And hallelujah. Can't wait for that day.
0: For the month of January, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. Isolation, distance, and conflict during these trying times have caused countless people to feel lonely and depressed. But for the Christian, the friendship of Jesus reaches even our deepest loneliness, and we can allow darkness and despair to drive us directly to Him. And when we come to Him, Jesus is able to match our every need with His mercies because He moves towards us with compassion. If you or someone you know needs to know the heart of God, you need to get this month's resource from Back to Basics. The book Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Suffers by Dane Ortland, is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you,